Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome back, everybody, to the Almost Sideways podcast. This is episode 154. We're recording Sunday, December 5th, 2021. It is 3 p.m. Pacific time. The Seahawks just went to halftime. Yes, we're recording while we're watching, so this could be fun. Uh, I'm your host, Terry Plucknett. Joining me, Todd and Zach. Is Andrew Luck going to re-retire and then retire again? <laughs> that, that, that was probably the best breaking news we've had on the on the podcast especially when it came out three days later when we finally finished editing it um todd Todd, what do you think of the uh the seahawks performance so far i mean our boy homer you know the beast that he is yeah the 73 yard uh (laughs) fake punt for a touchdown always helps but i mean it still is it still is bad that's it's a bad defense like I'm not, I'm not optimistic that we're going to actually win this game. Yeah. Yeah. Well, does it at least make you feel any better that Jim Harbaugh is going to get crushed in the national championship game by Alabama? I mean, that should give Seahawks fans some sort of pride. You, you're, you're assuming they make it there. I think – I, th- I, Mich- like I think Michigan's doesn't matter. the best team, but – doesn't matter. This is just all Alabama. All, we, we were foolish to assume anything else. It was always going to be Alabama, Roll Tide, and uh, it's rigged. But Alabama scored last week. They they were, were down 10 to 0 in the fourth quarter to a shitty team. Yeah. A backup quarterback. Blame, blame Auburn, as usual. I blame them for 2010. <laughs> I blame Cam Newton, and I blame them for this year, too. All I know is if if Bama played like they did yesterday, nobody's beating them. Nobody can say the same yeah, thing I, about Michigan. It's over. It's over uh, boom. They were, they you remember were... when Iowa was was uh, said to have the same level of defense as Georgia, and they're ranked number two in the country. They got beat what forty five to three yesterday by Michigan. I think Michigan's the best team. It'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see. For Do you sure. think Mac Jones and Tom Brady show up in the same box at the national championship game together? Because that that would be pretty awesome. That would be. All right. Well, uh, sorry. Let's, uh, riveting point no, here. it's all, it's all good. It's all good. Let's uh, let's get into uh, some some movie talk now. Now that we're done. Now we've talked about football for a little bit. But first, Zach, what are we drinking? All right, I'm drinking Ganache del Fuego. So if you know me, you know that uh, I have cycles with wine. I go through about a three-month cycle with the wine. I'm very monogamous, like Howard Payne is to bombs and speed. And I then lose it. And uh, I'm, on, I'm on the edge of this one. This might be the last Grenache uh, del Fuego I get. It's so freaking sugary. It, it's, I can't, I, it's just all sugar. It's like drinking Dr. Pepper. So I'm kind of done with it. I'm on the outs. But I will say for a $10 wine that scored a 90 on some bullshit wine scale and had 16% alcohol content, it was, a, it was a fun ride while it lasted. I'm open to new wines, though. I'm on the market again. I'm putting up my sink, my ad in the paper. I'm, I'm open for business. I don't think I've ever heard someone compare a wine to Dr. Pepper before. <laughs> yeah, it, 
it's it's pretty it's pretty sugary. Uh, I I didn't realize it. I was I was in a delusional state for the last three months, but it was enjoyable while it lasts. It was like a toxic relationship, and now I'm starting to listen to my friends who say that I'm I'm you know I deserve better. It's like Michael and Jan on The Office. It was a little toxic for a while. I'm coming out of it. Todd doesn't Very get nice. that reference. He doesn't. He doesn't. It's sad that Todd Todd still doesn't get that reference. Todd, what are you drinking? I'm drinking the Pyramid Apricot Ale, which is just a favorite because apricot is the best fruit. And it's just like a really subtle apricot flavor with this uh, really good beer that, uh, unfortunately, the brewery is no longer around. But Oh, really? Yeah. Pyramid's no longer around? Well, the one, in, the one across from the stadium is, and I'm, I don't know, I'm pretty uh, sure that was the main one. But okay. they might have a location somewhere else. Okay, okay. So, so that beer's been around for a while then. I don't know. I mean, I think they still make them. I'm just not sure. Okay. I'm not sure where, because that was the only one that I knew of. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Well, I went and uh, got my fill at Ridgewalker today and uh, a favorite of of their uh, latest holiday uh, uh, releases. This is the cinnamon roll stout. Ooh. And it's it, it's it's terrible. It's really subtle and it's really good. And uh, cinnamon Todd rolls is, are not subtle. No, but but the the cinnamon flavor in it is very subtle, and and Todd, as Doctor Rob would say, as long as your beer is darker than your bacon, you can have it for breakfast. Mm, and this yeah, makes advice. a great breakfast beer. It does. It does. <laughs> awesome. I miss breakfast beer. That was a fun time. <laughs> See, and I wanted to record this at eleven a.m. If you remember, we could have done that. that. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. It, it this this beer may have been um, breakfast uh, for uh, Thanksgiving at the in laws this year. Oh yeah, that sounds like a uh, necessity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or now, something can, stronger than that. Oh can, yes, yes. <laughs> can you pair it with a cinnamon roll? Is the real question. Yes, I, I actually I did because we had cinnamon rolls for go. breakfast that day. Breakfast of champions, right there. <laughs> cinnamon roll and uh, the cinnamon roll stout. It worked really well. All right. Well, uh, thank, thanks for listening in. Make sure that you're subscribing, rating, reviewing wherever you find your podcasts. Uh, give us a high rating. Tell all your friends. All that fun stuff. Uh, let's go into what we've been watching. And Todd, I know you didn't get to watch any extra movies this week. However, you have been watching the awards race. And there were some big precursors that uh, released this, uh, their winners this week. So uh, why don't you tell us uh, a little bit about that and if we actually learned anything about the Oscar race from them? Well, the Gotham Awards, uh, their winners actually were announced, which was pretty much swept by The Lost Daughter, which I think is a lot bigger contender than anyone may is making it out to be. Agreed. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I, I could see that like eventually sliding in and, and taking Best Picture, but I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll see. The, the National Board of Review is weird, though. I mean, last year they gave it to, to Five Bloods. This, this year... It was a big showing for King Richard and the winner for Best Film and Best Director was Licorice Pizza. Neither of which I think are serious contenders to actually win Best Picture, but I don't know. Oscar Farhadi won Best Original Screenplay for A Hero, which I think is yeah, a classic yeah. National Border Review thing to do that has no chance of getting nominated because they do that all the time. But, uh, but not a whole lot has been an announced just yet. I know the Spirit Awards nominations come out, I think, next week, and... Uh, We'll have a 
We'll have a lot better idea in the coming weeks. So wait, which voting board are you a member of, Todd? Uh, the, the Spirit Awards. Okay. The are we, are, are yeah. we going to have a segment where you go through your ballot with us? Yeah. I mean, if, I mean, if Adam isn't doing that again, then <laughs> I could do it on here or I could do it both. Now, do you, do you get to contribute to what the nominees are or just picking the winners? Uh, no, the nominees are chosen by a committee. Okay. It's good to know that almost sideways gets represented because yeah. we are, we are a definitive voting body and um, the, the movies listen to us every once in a while. I think we just need to make our our own like full on almost sideways awards and you know join the precursor uh uh conversation. Get it out there. Yeah, there let the go. people decide. <laughs> <laughs> I also love at the National Board of Review best uh, directorial debut went to Michael Cernowski for Pig. I think I think Pig gets yeah. a chance to have pick up a, a fair amount of precursors throughout the throughout the award season, but yeah. no chance at the Oscars. So I, top, there there's a yeah. there's an outside Nick Cage chance at the Oscars. That would outside, be, uh, that would be that's outside. that's like that's like Willem Dafoe getting nominated for that Van Gogh movie. That that'd be crazy. Yeah, I, I I've heard I've heard some say that um, Nick Cage in uh, Pig. Could be like this year's Ethan Hawke in First Reformed. Like there we it go. Could become a critical darling, but it's just a matter of if it gets into the Oscar lineup or not. I mean, it would make the Oscars trend on Twitter that day for sure. It would certainly get some buzz going. It'd be good for them. It could. It could. What I was going to say, Todd, is I feel like Licorice Pizza is becoming this year's almost famous. Like it seems almost guaranteed to get at least an original screenplay nomination, but it almost looks too. I don't know, too populist to really get serious Oscar consideration, which is just a roundabout way of saying I really hope it's as good as Almost Famous because I've had David Bowie's Life and Mars stuck in my head the last three months because of that trailer, and I just need to see it right now. I mean, I'm counting down the days. Yeah, it comes out, what, Christmas? Why? I mean, yeah. Yeah, that is what I'll be doing it, on Christmas. It's quickly becoming the, the new Jackass Forever trailer slash Vantage Point trailer. I, I can recite all the lines from that trailer. Barbara Streisand? Streisand. Streisand. It's Barbara Streisand. See, for me, that trailer right now is still the 355. That that trailer is well, I haven't seen that one movie. in a while since you mentioned it. You know, I, did, I didn't see it this week either. But um, but before that, I yeah, it seems like it pops up all the time. All right, so Todd, one last thing about the board of review. Rachel Ziegler for West Side Story. I mean, it seems like Kristen Stewart, I felt like, was was sort of a lock at some point, but maybe I'm mistaken. I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't think Rachel Ziegler is going to win, and Kristen Stewart I don't think is necessarily going to win either. She, she'll pick up a lot of critical awards, but for, I mean, I haven't seen the movie yet, but from what I hear, it's, it is more of like a subtle thing, and that's not really what wins Best Actress. So are you on the Jessica Chastain bandwagon then? For the three five five, that would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Not necessarily. I mean, I, I don't know. Jessica Chastain. That, I mean, that, that it's the full like transformation a, thing. But it was an early, an true early release, and no one know. has seen it except me. And that's that's true too. Randomly. <laughs> I don't know, I mean, man. I saw the trailer for the Lucy Ricardo movie. I thought Nicole Kidman looks really yeah, pretty good in that I've heard movie. Good things I, about I don't that know. Too. That, that could that could get some serious attention. 
I mean, Olivia Coleman and Francis McDormand, I know they just yeah, won, but I, I think it, both of them are probably the frontrunners. The, the Academy is contractually obligated to nominate their any performance they have in any movie they're in. So that, that that's a, that's sound logic. Yeah. All right. Well, Zach, what have you been watching this week? All right. So I did not watch any football today. I, I just got back from uh, Come On, Come On. Come on, oh. come on. Come on, come on, come on. Like Jeff Daniels and Speed. Uh, okay, it is the new movie by friend of the podcast, Mike Mills. We remember him from such classics as Beginners and American Woman. No, 20th Century Woman. American Woman was the good movie uh, with Sienna Miller. Anyway, uh, Come On, Come On is uh, the new Mike Mills movie, and it stars Joaquin Phoenix as Johnny. And he plays some sort of like quasi-NPR Ira Glass-type radio host who goes around the country and interviews kids and asks them about their future. It's very kind of like Chronicle of a Summer-type cinema verite, except on the radio. I'm sure there's a lot of money in it. Um, anyway, uh, as the movie opens, um, he is in Detroit, and he gets a co- phone call from his sister, played by Gabby Hoffman, that uh, she is in a crisis. She has to take care of her uh husband um who's played the movie by scoot mcnary who's kind of having a mental breakdown and can she and can joaquin phoenix johnny take care of her nine-year-old son jesse and so joaquin flies back to los angeles and basically the rest of the movie is a series of uh uh you know uh scenes where they get to bond and grow to love each other and it's very um heartwarming um, the, you know, the Joaquin Phoenix character ser- learns to grow a bit of a soul and uh, the kid teaches him lessons about life. And I guess I'm making this movie sound a little bit uh, corny and definitely is corny. I mean, let's remember it is Mike Mills. He that the master of uh, small budget uh, corniness, but it's actually a pretty good movie. I, don't, I, I liked it. Um, I feel like this movie is basically a June release uh, that got slapped with a black and white uh, filter and some nice uh, music and some shots of New York City and Joaquin Phoenix and suddenly it's an Oscar contender. I don't know. It's not a real Oscar contender. Watch this movie. It's, this, this movie is basically like um, Martian Child, you know, the, the John Cusack movie or basically any movie where a, uh, uh, a cynical adult uh, who, you know, uh, is around adults all the time gets taught life lessons by kids. Um, I do really like like the kid in this movie uh the kid in this movie is played by a young actor named woody norman he is amazing i mean he's his acting is very naturalistic and i think him and joaquin phoenix have a great chemistry um it's the movie is is saturine and 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 very sentimental and it's probably about 20 minutes too long however you know what my favorite movie all time is kramer versus kramer i mean the formula gets to me i like movies about jaded cynical adults that uh, have to interact with kids in crises and they get to know each other and bond and i thought this movie was really sweet and i'm giving it three stars all right either of you seen it yet no no I, I thought about seeing it on Friday and um, Beginners left such a wonderful taste in my mouth that I opted to this, find anything else to watch. than This is Kong. Mike Mills's Citizen Kane. This is way better than anything he's done before. So I, I, I would recommend it. It's not the world's greatest movie. It shouldn't really be an Oscar contender, but it does have some really heartfelt moments. And Walking Phoenix, I think, is basically playing himself in this movie. It feels like the least sort of like performance that walking phoenix has had he's really good and you know for what it's worth i thought it was cute and and i liked it all right good all right so what i've been watching first uh just a couple mention of a few things um yeah i didn't see come on come on but i did have a double feature at the theater friday night uh where i saw ghostbusters afterlife which is um 
it, it is it is really good. It's really fun. It gets a little too corny at the end. Um, but a, a three star movie. If you love the first couple Ghostbusters, you'll love this one. Um, and then I saw Wolf, which I have. I'm working on a movie review for that should be up uh, in the next day or two. As def- definitely by the time this uh, this airs. Uh, and uh, yeah, it kind of sucked. So uh, have fun reading that review when it comes out. Uh, and I think I have one and a half stars on that. But my Oscar watch that I'm gonna um, that I'm gonna talk about is uh, going back ten years. Uh, and it is uh, it was a nominee for best original song. It was the only loser of best original song that year. Rio. Rio. Yes. <laughs> wow. Yes, the song "Real in Rio." They were really stretching for for song nominees that year. If "Man or Muppet" was the winner, and "Real in Rio," which is just like the opening title, like opening title credit song, and they do it again at the uh, reprise it for the closing credits, and that's it. Anyways, uh, so yeah, Rio. It's uh, I've got some great voice talent here jesse eisenberg and hathaway george lopez leslie mann wanda sykes jane lynch jamie fox will i am uh there there's a lot of there's a lot of great voices to it it tells a story of a bird who is from brazil who gets um who gets captured as a young bird taken to the the city and it turns out he's like this rare bird so they try to bring him back to brazil so that he could mate with the only other female that's around and uh, and uh, save the species, and a lot of chaos happens as people are trying to uh, to steal the endangered birds. Um, there's not really much to this movie. It's it's fun. It's cute. It's it yeah. It, it's it's just kind of a silly kids movie. Um, I'm giving it two and a half stars. I always find it funny when you have the uh, the best. Are, are the the animated movies that have the sole original song nomination and can't get into the animated i mean it happens more times than you would think but th- this was one of them and uh yeah i'd say it's probably it, it's not as good as any of the song or any of the animated nominees so anyways rio two and a half stars yeah, I'm trying to look at my 2011 list, and I really can't find a lot of good original songs either. However, I can find good uses of songs in movies, like Immigrant Song at the beginning of Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, um, or that song at the beginning of Drive. Uh, but um, yeah, that, that's a pretty weak category, if you're only able to come up with two nominees. Well, and I remember that year they like they they made Oscars a special rule West, where they song. said, we are only going to nominate... Uh, we are only going to nominate songs we feel worthy and it'll be anywhere between one and five depending on how many we feel are worthy and it was two. Wow. Oh, you gotta be kidding me i know i know i, I just saw that too Todd. i can't believe they only nominated two songs i agree todd i know that's I know. what you're responding to dropped an easy touchdown and he kicked it in the air and it got intercepted <laughs> <laughs> anyway let me ask you can i ask you something as seahawks fans Listen, you've had so this is the the worst team in the Pete Carroll era. 
Like what, what, what do we do? Like, I, I, you know, there's talks that Russell Wilson leaves the team that, you know, maybe, maybe they, they just uh, give up on the season. They go for a high draft pick. Like, like, what are your thoughts? You know, I, I, I know you haven't been in this place, you know, since the John Carlson era, but like, what, what, what do you do with this team? Well, they can't give up on the season and go for a high draft pick because we traded that draft pick to the jets for Jamal Adams. Oh, well, that was a great idea. Yeah. Right now it's projected to be like the fourth or fifth pick in the draft. Well, th- this team actually isn't that that all that different from the 2010 team that ended up making the playoffs. So it was because the division sucked, though. I think we won like the last four games to get to seven and nine. So you're saying go for it? I mean, the NFC is terrible. Like the Vikings are in the playoffs and they just lost to the Lions. So yeah, maybe you guys could get in with like six wins or something. Six, I, six and eleven. <laughs> Wasn't that what know. your record was in 2010? In, I mean, seven and nine. Close it seems like the entire division is peaking right now, too. That's the other, like Todd like said, that's the other problem. 61 like, Cheval Blanc is peaking the, at the right, the, the right time. The Cardinals are are awesome right now. The Rams are are moving in the right direction. They're they're already there. The the Niners are getting there. We're on no, the wrong the side Niners of our are garbage too. But we're we're on the wrong the side of our suck. peak. That that's we're the only we're the only NFC West team on the wrong side of our peak. That's what I meant. So I don't know what you do. I don't know what you do. Anyways, that was a Rio. great review of Rio. Yeah, I, I really didn't have much to say about it because there really isn't much to say. Yeah, about it's, it. a, it's a forgettable of an animated movie that somehow got a sequel ever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Jesse Eisenberg is a neurotic ba- uh, bird that is, yeah, it, there, there's that, but that's about it. What's the girl voice in that? Is it like Rashida Anne Jones Hathaway. or something? Anne Hathaway. Wow. Which, you, which is, I, is one of those I don't realize how much Anne Hathaway's voice is completely generic until you hear it in an animated movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh anyways, okay. Well, let's get into uh to the main topic here, our featured review, which is uh gonna be looking at one of the more anticipated movies of uh of the 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 fall this month as we're getting into awards season time. It's a big contender this year for a lot of the awards. It's the power of the dog. Open up the gate, let him out. You sure he's not ready? Go on, let him out. It's just a man, Peter. Only another man. <laughs> uh, brought to us by Jane Campion. Uh, Zach, I'm going oh, to you shit. first. <laughs> because you sure you want to do this? I I, I think I do because I, I love your your response. It's not a like, Marvel movie into though. This. But but I loved how you were like you know what you were intimidated by this movie, and, and so I oh, want okay. you to you to talk about my your, experience, your experience like okay. getting into it, and then what you actually thought of it. So listen, I'll be honest with you guys. This movie came out came to Kansas City like two weeks ago, and I really thought about seeing it. Didn't see it. Uh, it came out on Netflix earlier this week. Thought about it Thursday night. Texted Terry. I'm like, dude, this. I'm too intimidated to watch this. Uh, this is the best picture front runner. I think Todd nailed it back in January, which is why we are, you know, Independent Spirit Award uh, voters. Like our website gets it, aka Todd. Uh, <laughs> anyway, The Power of the Dog is the new movie by uh, Academy Award winner Jane Campion. This is her first movie in 12 years. Is that right? Since Bright Star. Yeah. Something like that, yeah. 
I have a funny story about Bright Star, but maybe I'll save that for later. Uh, it stars Benedict Cumberbatch, a.k.a. Doctor Strange, as Phil Burbank. And the story takes place in 1925 Montana. And at the beginning of the movie, uh, Phil is living with his brother, George, played by Jesse Plemons. And uh, they are basically uber-masculine uh, cattle herders. And they live in a pretty nice, uh, like, luxurious house, kind of reminiscent of the house in Legends of the Fall, I felt like. Um, and so uh, at the beginning of the movie, they go on this big cattle herd. They are hungry. They go to this restaurant in the nearby town that is owned by Rose Gordon, who's played by Kirsten Dunst, and her son Peter, played by Cody Smith-McPhee. And uh, there is a love connection between the Jesse Plemons and Kirsten Dunst character. She is a widow. She is um, pretty, I don't know, maybe desperate. I, you know, the, the, the dad died. He's gone. Maybe they need money. I, I don't know. And so eventually these two people get married and they move into the house. And that is not something that Phil, played by Benedict Cumberbatch, really approves of. He is just a grouch. He is really unhappy with his life. Uh, and uh, he is just mean-spirited toward everybody. And so for the first hour of this movie, it is just kind of rising stakes. The stakes getting higher and higher about the kind of mental um mind games that this guy uh phil plays with rose and peter uh, he especially doesn't like peter because peter is sort of the exact opposite of the masculine ideal of the cowboy he is kind of tall lanky at the beginning of the movie he's making like floral arrangements on the tables and benedict cumberbatch just you know completely annihilates that and he you know basically spews out uh homophobic slurs at him and in the meantime, basically, um, you know, makes fun of Kirsten Dunst's inability to uh, play music. I thought the first hour of this movie was kind of amazing in terms of showing a character who is evil and vindictive, but in a very, like, sly and manipulative way. It's not, like, over the top. Um, but it's really kind of fascinating, the mental sort of mind games that he plays with these people. And it's really uh, imposing because oftentimes Jesse Plemons is not there for whatever reason. He might, I, I don't know if the movie really explained this, but he's not really present very often. He's like uh, absentee. Anyway, the second half of the movie goes in a really interesting direction. And guys, I don't know how we deal with this. I mean, I, I do want to talk about the spoilers in this movie. I'm going to I'm not going to talk about them now, but I think later when we get into a conversation, we should talk about it. Um, I think this movie is pretty impressive. Uh, I really loved the kind of building tension between these characters, the four main characters who I think are really well observed. Benedict Cumberbatch in this movie, I mean, it is everything as advertised. He is phenomenal. Uh, he carries himself with this aura of masculine sort of mystique, but just total uh, hatred of everyone around him. And later we kind of find out the root cause of that hatred, which is fascinating. Um, and I think that the performances by uh, Kirsten Dunst, Jesse Plemons, Cody Smith-McPhee are, are awesome. This is a really stellar cast. Jane Campion shot this movie in New Zealand, her native New Zealand. Um, and it doesn't exactly look like uh, Montana, but there's some beautiful uh, cinematography in this movie that the Oscar voters are, of course, going to orgasm to. Um, this movie has a really interesting pace. It's slow at times. You kind of don't exactly know where it's going. You sort of see some really curious exchanges between the characters. And there are fairly long stretches that I think a lot of um, casual viewers are going to find sort of slow and uh, meandering. Um, but I will say in the last 20 minutes of this movie, you kind of understand why the director chose the pace that she did, because it builds up to a kind of a big sort of surprise. I'm kind of surprised that this movie wasn't directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, because there's definitely some there will be blood and the master in this movie. And in the last 30 minutes, there is 
uh, Phantom Thread. And I hope that's not too much of a spoiler. Um, I think this movie is the front runner to win Best Picture. I can't think of a whole lot of Best Picture winners that have had characters, though, that are this unlikable, especially Benedict Cumberbatch. I really can't think of an, a Best Picture winner with a main character as sort of um, difficult and just uh, unlikable as he is. There's not a lot of like heartfelt moments in the movie. He's a very standoffish character that we really grow to sort of despise over the course of the movie. Even when there are secrets about him that are revealed, they don't necessarily generate any sort of sympathy toward his actions. In the end, he does sort of get a comeuppance, but even that is sort of unsatisfactory, which is, I think, the point that the director is trying to make. Three and a half stars for this movie. I think it has some interesting flaws that maybe we'll talk about when we go into spoilers. But overall, I was pretty satisfied with this movie. And I think it's a reminder that Campion is a great storyteller when it comes to awkward sort of families and families that get sort of disrupted by new members that really sort of mess things up. It reminded me of her movie Sweetie back in the late 80s. And it's great to see Jane Campion back. I think she's a really kind of eccentric, cool director. And this movie has a really unique style that was unpredictable. And I really dug it. All right, so three and a half stars from Zach. I'll go next. Um, I'm giving this one three stars, uh, and that's mainly out of respect. Honestly, oh. I was having trouble getting into the story, um, and and it the pace was so slow at, in the beginning. Um, like I was watching with my wife, we were like a half hour in, and she looked at me and said, "Okay, nothing's happened, right?" I said, "No, nothing's happened." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it just took so long to get into that by the time you get to some of the payoff stuff i i wasn't i i didn't have the buy-in because it, it hadn't kept me engaged up until that point but like you said it's a beautiful movie the performances are outstanding uh benedict cumberbatch yeah he does something that we haven't really seen him do before um and uh and jesse plemons always great to see um but yeah i it uh, it's the technical achievement of it. I want to watch it again. Really, I want yes. to watch it again, and yes. if because I have a feeling I'm going to have a, a a better understanding of it and uh, and better perspective on it. But yes. right now, and that's why I'm giving it three stars. Uh, or otherwise, it, it could have been lower. But um, but yeah, three stars out of respect. Uh, I need to watch it again. Todd, where are you at with this? Well, a, a best picture winner where every character is unlikable. I would say is Birdman, but there's the uh, other. There aren't that many. Debatable. But I, for me, I, I love that this is like, it's just satisfying to have a Western and have it be like a big high profile one. Like it kind of reminded me of when the Sisters Brothers came out a few years ago. That's another foreign director breaking new ground with a Western. That was a really good movie too, but it was kind of under the radar. But this doesn't really feel like a Western. I feel like it has more in common with like Rebecca than it does yes. with, as like a normal Western that would come out. And, you know, and it's like really observant it's not exactly thrilling almost chloe zhao ish so me, me, I, I think it probably still is the front under one best picture but benedict cumberback is like a freaking he's a live wire in this like it's like a christian bale kind of role and i did not know that he had that in him i i think he That's should probably comparison. he should win best actor anthony perkins i mean cody smith mcphee he, he's, he's he's anthony <laughs> perkins he's awesome um jesse plemons and kristen dunn's are an awesome like couple like i mean they're they're one of the coolest like natural on-screen couples that we have i i don't know what era this movie belongs in i don't think it belongs in this era i don't think it belongs in the era it's set i don't think it belongs in 1967 which was in the book was i think it probably belongs in like the late 70s sometime i think it would have been a huge hit then it's I, I think that's probably why it's on netflix now because i, I don't know that 
people are going to rush the theaters to watch this, but it, it seems like a, a throwback in a lot of ways because it's not a new age Western. It's not Deadwood or something that's clearly written for modern audiences, but it has been absolutely stuck in my head for the last few days. Uh, yeah, I, I like Jane Campion a lot. This is probably most similar to me for her, her <laughs> uh, like portrait of a lady with like the repression and the romantic drama elements. But then she's got like stuff like Top of the Lake, which is like right in that same kind of thing. Like, but all of her movies, like In the Cut, The Piano, Bright Star, they all have like that motif. They all feel like her, but they're all in playing different games. And I guess that makes her one of our great auteurs. Uh, the Johnny Greenwood score is crazy. It's it's haunting yes. and weird. And I kind of loved it. I need to watch it again. I was just going to give this like three stars and let it rise up over time because I didn't want to overrate it. But I really don't have any complaints about it. I I mean, it, it doesn't... I don't know. I, I mean, it doesn't feel like a normal Netflix movie either. It doesn't feel like TV at any point. It's not one of their normal movies. And I love that it's actually going to get seen because it's on Netflix. And I and we really shouldn't give away any details because what happens in the second act is 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 what puts this movie over the top. And so it's for me, it's a three and a half star movie, and it could be a top ten movie of the year. Wow. Then yes, I really do need to watch this again. Okay, so for uh, all right, let's let we'll do no spoilers. We'll, we'll we'll try to go around it a little bit. First of all, without revealing it, did you guys understand the ending? I, I I think I was a little bit perplexed at first, but then going back to it, which is why when you said, Terry, you need to rewatch it. I'm like, oh, yeah, like I kind of want to rewatch it now because there are clues that lead up to that that make that ending really satisfying that you don't notice. And again, I don't know if that's Jane Campion inducing us into some sort of tranquility where we're not really paying attention that much because it is slow at times like. Okay, this is, you know, there's a scene in this movie where uh, Cody McPhee is riding a horse and he encounters something on the trail. That ends up being an important scene, but when you're watching it, you're like, what is this scene? It has nothing to do with anything. And then it's yeah, like, oh, can, yeah. I can tell you saying, nothing, nothing's really happening, but, like, those scenes actually do <laughs> lead to something. You just you can, don't really think twice about it when you're watching it. And I think you can be of two mindsets. On the one hand, you can be like, okay, well, in the in the, in the the experience of it, it's like that was kind of boring. But when you think about it, I was like, that was kind of genius. Like, that, that was a great sort of, like, you're not even noticing it. You're not expecting it. I wonder if Jane Campion deliberately paces this movie kind of slow to make us sort of not ignore, but just sort of be like, okay, that was just another scene in a series of kind of meandering paced, you know, events that don't always add up. And then it's like, oh yeah, now it kind of makes sense. Okay. That I see it now. And, and I really want to watch it again to see maybe that there's more pieces there. Okay. There's a reason I'm not giving it four stars. And I, again, I, I will tread lightly with this. Yes. The Benedict Cumberbatch character is a product of 1967. I think Todd is absolutely dead on when he says, what era does this movie belong to? I don't know either. I would say probably the 60s. And in the 60s, you could have a trope like this, where you could get away with someone who was self-loathing in the way that Benedict Cumberbatch was because he was hiding something that was, uh, shall we say, not very accepted by the society that he was living in at the time. That is an outdated trope. And so my question is for 2021 viewers who are watching this in a very sort of inclusive, diversity-minded academy, 
are they going to read this movie as something that indulges in a sort of bygone cliche? Or are they going to read this as something that is sort of looking at the, 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 the tragedy that this character goes through because of his internal struggle? And I don't know. I don't even know if that's really a criticism of the movie. I just feel like watching it, at times I felt like Todd is absolutely right. This, is, this could have been a movie with Anthony Perkins, and I would cast Lee Marvin in the lead role, by the way, if we're, if we're going back to the 60s. I just mm-hmm. don't know if it is really a 2021 movie. I think since some other Westerns that have come out over the last 20 years, I, th- I think we've evolved the genre, and I think we've evolved this kind of caricature, but I, I, I don't know. I think he's more complicated to than to say that he's a caricature, though. Like, I, I think that character is really deep, and you have to still have those sort of... You have to play him that way still because the era that it's set, what I mean, that was the way it was going to be treated regardless. So I don't I mean, it, it is complicated, but yeah, a, a, those kind of stories aren't really told anymore. Who just scored? Nobody scored. Oh, but. I just saw it. Yep. Pick. <laughs> Interception. Jimmy G. I don't know. This is one of those movies that I think, you know, it, it's a really interesting movie. I agree with both of you, by the way. I don't think anyone has made bad points so far. I agree with Terry that there are times in this movie that are really slow, but I think the overall impact, it's, it's like its like other Campion movies. Um, I have not seen Portrait of a Lady. I have seen Bright Star. My story behind that is I saw it as one of the first movies I, I saw in Lawrence, Kansas when I moved here, but I thought Bright Star was kind of boring and weird. Uh, but uh, I thought it was to, boring I'd, too. I'd have to go back and rewatch it. <laughs> Like the way they talk in this movie is really weird. It's almost as if they're speaking like they're from New Zealand at times. Maybe that's just me reading into knowing that Jane Campion is the director. But at times it doesn't feel like they're speaking in a native like American English tongue. I, I, I don't know. Like they use like sort of like expressions or like colloquial language that doesn't really make sense. Um, this is a movie that people need to talk about. And I think when, when you watch it, it's fine in the in the experience of watching it. But like. I don't think you get the full experience until you actually talk about it and debate it with with people and and talk about like maybe some areas of the movie that are outdated or maybe indulge in cliches, which is what I'm suggesting, or maybe in ways in which we don't understand what the character's motivations are. Because I think my, my one of my struggles with the movie is there's a point in the second half of this movie when suddenly, kind of out of nowhere, Benedict Cumberbatch t- t- takes an interest in the Cody Smith McPhee character. And I guess my question, my, I don't know if this is a flaw, but I just found it a little bit unrealistic that up until that point, we'd established this character as such an asshole and so unlikable. Why is he suddenly interested in this kid that up until that point he has chastised and made fun of and, and really sort of just demeaned? Um, I felt like that could have been a little bit more established. But maybe that's there's a reason why it wasn't established. I don't know. Also, Bronco Henry is one of like the great characters that you never see in a movie. I don't know if that'd be a power rankings at some point, but yes, you know everything about that character, and you feel like you already know. But I don't know who would play that character if they actually Jack Palance. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. Okay, there we go. Jeff Bridges. (laughs) Jeff Bridges. That's all right. Well, let's get to the real question: Is this movie winning Best Picture? I I say yes. I think it, it check marks all the boxes except for likable characters. Well, I mean, after Nomadland won, like now anything could really win because exactly. like, Nomadland does not feel like a best and picture Parasite. at all. So. Yeah, and Parasite. Yeah. But I mean, Parasite was 
was um, a movie for the masses just in another language. I think last year you got to think as, of as a little bit of an anomaly because it was it was 2020. I I don't know. I I don't know if you can get away with something this this hard to access in as well, a the issue is the other issue is also that this is Netflix. Like Netflix still hasn't won a major award. At that's another yeah, good point. Yeah, that's a good point. But this movie's cinematic. Doesn't that sort of negate the whole Netflix factor? I would think so. Yeah, I mean, and when I guess Roma. when Roma won Best <laughs> yeah, Director, yeah, yeah, it's fair. <laughs> but l- listen, Campion, you know, Irishman. I mean, Campion t- won an Oscar. She's been at the Oscars before. I, I, I know, and, and it does I, need to be a foreign director winning Best Picture, it, right? I whole, think she's a shoe in to win director. I'd be shocked if anybody. I could see maybe this movie getting upset at, at for Best Picture, but I think Campion's winning director. I think that's. I, I think that's over. I mean, th- this movie, in terms of like style, in terms of cinematography and the storytelling, I, that race I think is done. Well, I mean, it could. I mean, West Side Story could still win That's... Best Director. I mean, I Damien think West Chazelle... Side Story could beat it for picture. I don't know if Spielberg. Damien Chazelle beat Moonlight. That almost, arguably, should like would have gone the other way around. Like that, La La Land. That's a good the, point. That's a good point. The best Picture winner, but I don't know. Yeah. I mean, could it win? Yes, it could win. But I think, I honestly, Todd, I think you're right. I think the biggest thing against it right now is still the fact that Netflix hasn't hasn't cracked that bubble yet and won Best Picture. Well, um, it hadn't, hadn't won like a an Emmy for Best Series yet, and then it finally did that. So they're starting to accept that. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I would agree with Todd that I would want to see that Olivia Coleman movie too before. Like that seems lost like a, daughter, very, which yeah, is that, another Netflix movie. That seems like a pretty serious contender. By the way, I had a question at Cody Smith McPhee in this movie uses a hula hoop. I thought that wasn't invented until the fifties. Am I crazy? I mean, well, no, didn't, it was, it was didn't Tim Robbins invented and uh, yeah, in exactly. That was said in like the twenties, wasn't it? And it got to Montana after Tim Robbins invented it. That thing was a phenomenon. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> It didn't look like a like a licensed hula hoop. <laughs> this it looked movie, like a hoop that he hula with. Well, he, he was a very um, a very interesting character that did that made a lot of things. Yes, <laughs> like his comb. This movie. Okay, so the closest best picture comparison I have to this movie, and it's not just because they had female directors, is the Hurt Locker, because I think the Hurt Locker is a movie that. You would, you would expect it to be full of like guns blazing, action sequences, and people like Ben just hated the Hurt Locker. Ben's an idiot. Shout out to Ben. But like people going in this movie hoping for a Western are not going to get what they like. So the critics are going to like that aspect of it. And I think it's it, just... It a, does feel like a Western. It feels like a 70s Western. It has yeah, more like Revision and Mrs. Miller than it does like, you know, Unforgiven. The majority of this movie takes place inside. Like that that is not an attribute of a western typically. Was this shot during COVID? Is that why? Because <laughs> I think so. they I have think like these really tiny on, sets. Yeah, I think it went on break because of COVID. By the way, we haven't talked about a friend of the podcast, Thomas and McKenzie, our third movie with her this year. <laughs> I did not even know she was in this movie until I saw her and was like, is that Thomas and McKenzie? Really? Well, okay, Jane Campion is from New Zealand. Okay, maybe it makes sense. Yeah, she didn't need to be in this movie though. <laughs> No, I think her two lines were amazing. What, what, what were they like? Would you like more coffee with that? Was that it? No, 
Well, then, then uh, judging the tennis match. Yeah, that's right. Judging the tennis. I believe her name was Lola. Yeah. If I remember correctly. Yeah. Was not a showgirl. Wow. <laughs> In the Star Wars Cantina. Yes, yes. Yeah. Terry, you, sh- you should watch this movie again. I, I, I plan on it. I plan on it. And, That's uh, a sign of a good movie. That's why I'm giving it three and a half stars. I agree with a lot of what you said, Terry, <clears throat> but I want to watch it again. And listen, I like Todd said, this movie stuck with me, man. I can't, I sort of can't get it out of my head either. It's like, it's really weird and interesting. And Jane Campion is like a great sort of psychological director. Like, what was that? I, I don't know. I, I dug it. But see, I want to watch it again because I feel like I didn't have any connection with the characters. And so the payoff didn't matter. So I need to watch it again so I can connect with it. I just, I felt like I didn't understand. Well, okay. I'm just going to throw this out there. I don't understand how rope is made. That made me uh, a dumb viewer. Not made with videotape in, no. in the twenties. No, no, no. Well, so, so Terry, if the, if the, if the actors would have played it up more, because like, you have like four very subtle actors that are, that are in the, these roles. If this would have been, you know, Christian Bale, in the in the lead role like and i don't think it, i don't think it was the actors it, i think it was Taylor johnson instead of anthony perkins it, 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 it was it was more the subtlety the subtlety of what of what was actually happening not the subtlety of the performances but i think that they underplay it and that that fits in the mood of the of what of the aura that she was going for yeah see and that's why i need to watch it again i do um oh and shout out to keith carradine the governor that's right I think he wins the biggest douchebag in this movie, unless Benedict Cumberbatch wins it. And, and, and maybe the biggest douchebag winner of all time is probably Benedict Cumberbatch in this movie. Um, yeah, I, I will say uh, I, I will say talk about a movie that that doesn't that sticks with you, though. I I forgot to mention this in what I've been watching. Tick, tick, boom. As I have not been able to shake that one since I watched it. Four stars. Nice. Yeah, we saw that one coming. Yeah, yeah I know. Yeah. I know you did. I know you did. I I put I had I had Power of the Dog higher than Tick Tick Boom, in spite okay. of the fact that I had more criticisms of Power of the Dog. But I think Power of the Dog is more ambitious than Tick Tick Boom. That could be. That could be. Like, think of how ballsy this movie is to make a, a movie I, 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 with characters this unlikable in a genre this sort of alienating to viewers, and. The, the 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 secret that Benedict Cumberbatch has, I think, will alienate viewers as well. Is, is our westerns alienating? Like, there's a reason why they're still made. Like, Yellowstone's the biggest show on TV. Like, yeah, I but mean, this westerns is not. Are... This is not Yellowstone, man. This is. Well, I know, but I mean, this this genre is not alienating. Like, this is like the one of the biggest genres in the history of movies. There's a reason why they keep making them. But yes, it is not is not a new age western at all. Well, listen, you know, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation is on every channel. And so when I watch that movie, I think Cousin Eddie, do you think Cousin Eddie would like The Power of the Dog? I'm going to say no. I think he likes Yellowstone, though. That is a very interesting barometer that I never thought of. (laughs) That is a fascinating thought. All right. Well, this movie is thrice approved. We've got two with three and a half stars, one with three. We'll have to ask what Ben thinks of it. All of us, all of us, kind of admit that this might be a sliding scale upon rewatch as well. So, uh, check out Power of the Dog. It is available on Netflix. Uh, and uh, yeah, 
Yeah, it's it's definitely a fascinating watch. I mean, I if nothing else, it it's fascinating and a conversation starter for sure. Okay. Let's get into the main topic of the day. And uh the main topic of the day is uh is just, you know, playing into uh Zach's yes. satisfaction and yes. all welcome that to my the, world <laughs> for the rest of this time as he got to pick Finally. our deep dive for this week. And we're celebrating the 20th anniversary of one of his favorite movies. <laughs> An all-time classic. All all $6 million at the box office. Listen, this movie changed hearts. It changed minds. It was, it was a milestone. Uh, this movie is called The Pledge. Jerry, for Christ's sake, you're retiring. Well, I'm trying to fit all the pieces together. Fill in the gaps. You did have a daughter that went missing three years ago, didn't you? Thought you were supposed to be fishing. Need more time on this. No offense, but you're retired. You don't work here anymore. You see this big black car? Come on, Jerry. You gotta start getting on with your life. I made a promise, Eric. It was directed by... That's a funny thing, though, is nobody's heard of this movie. But the cast and and the director make it feel like it should be. Like, it's directed by Sean Penn. It stars Jack Nicholson and Benicio Del Toro and Robin Wright Penn and Aaron Eckhart. I mean, these are big time names. But for some reason, nobody knew about it. And like, as of right now on IMDb, this movie's 20 years old. There's 56,000 votes, which is not a not a lot. It's not a lot. So anyways, uh, we're going to do a deep dive of this one and uh, and talk about it. Todd is hosting trivia, so we're going to start with that. I have a feeling I'm going first. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> so we're going right. to do our Mount Rushmore after trivia, even though it's not related. Oh, I forgot about Mount Rushmore. No, it, it's related. We can do, we'll, we'll do okay. it after. We'll do it after. Okay. Okay. All right. Terry's okay. first. And out goes Zach. Boom. He's gone. All right. All right. I have, what, seven questions worth, I guess, eight points. Okay. This is not the easiest thing, so I had to get creative. I'm um, sure you did. What were the movies immediately preceding and succeeding this movie in Jack Nicholson's filmography? Uh, about Schmidt? About Schmidt was the one after. It was the one after, and so before would have been... Mars Attacks? That was even before this one. As good as it gets. Oh. Mm. So there was a there was I was going to say as good as I was going to say as good as it gets. I was going to say that. I'm like, no, there's no way 98 was the last and then 2 and 01 or 97 and then 2 and 01. And so I was like, maybe Mars Attacks was 98 or 99, but that was 96, wasn't it? I just thought that was interesting. I didn't know this was this, this comeback of sorts for me. That was the only one I could think of was as good as... Yeah! Okay. Okay. Uh, what does the banner say at the retirement party? Oh, gosh. Um, good luck fishing. Close. Is it gone fishing, Jerry? Wait. I was going to say gone fishing, but that Not didn't make any sense. Thing. Gone fishing, yeah. I know, it doesn't make sense. That's why I wrote it down. Yeah, that... that uh, uh... Where does Jerry eventually go to stay and fish? What's the, what's, the, what's the place called? Oh, um, it's uh, the like the Johnson Fishing Resort, something like that. 
Thompson's Sugarbush Resort. Thompson. I knew it was a it was a basic name. What okay. is on the poster behind the desk at the gas station? Pepsi Cola. Backstreet Boys. Oh gosh. <laughs> I should have seen that. I didn't notice that. Uh what school district does Chrissy go to? That's oh, a question. I, I this I was a zip for Zach. For I three. have no idea. Two Rivers Independent School District. And what number is this on Zach's top one hundred? Seventy-one. Okay. Well, we'll see if he knows his top one hundred. Well, I'm, I'm sure he does. I was waiting for you to ask what kind of car did he drive because it was an Isuzu, and I thought that was interesting. I know. I was looking at that there. That was you all should, the questions. You got one, you should, and maybe another. You should ask him if he knows that. Oh, I'm sure he does. Okay. All right. Bringing back Zach. The Zach is back. All right, we have six All questions right. worth seven points. Terry got seven one and questions. maybe another one. Weak sauce. All right. Okay, what were the movies immediately preceding and succeeding this movie in Jack Nicholson's filmography? All right, well, you got to think about Schmidt, right? That was the one after. Okay, and then preceding... I guess he hadn't done a whole lot in a while after As Good As It Gets. Um, I'm trying to think here. Was there anything after As Good As It Gets? I don't really think so. I'm going to go with As Good As It Gets. That is correct. Sweet! It was his comeback role. I second-guessed myself knowing it, thinking As Good As It Gets, and I said Mars Attacks, but that was the year Uh, before As Good As It Gets. That movie sucks, by the way. Shot in Lawrence, Kansas. What, Mission to Mars would have been around there, right? I don't know. I, I've never seen either of them. I saw Mars Attacks in the theater. Ugh. Uh, what does it say on the banner at the retirement party? Gone fishing, Jerry. That is correct. <laughs> Very original. Where is it that Jerry goes to stay and fish? Like, what's the place called? Um, Sugar Bush. Yeah, Thompson, Thompson Sugar, Sugar Bush. Bush. Yeah. yeah. I knew that was going to be a question. I made what sure to poster, memorize that one. <laughs> what is the poster? What is on the poster behind the desk at the gas station? A dollar bill. What is on the poster? On the poster? Isn't it yeah. his, his dollar bill? The first. That's not, that's not like a plaque or something. But... Okay. Uh, then uh, something something with cigarettes. No, it, it is a poster of the Backstreet Boys. Nice. There we go. It, it's dating, not dating this movie at all. What school district does Chrissy go to? Monash. That is not the district. Okay. What does it say on the bus? I, I no clue. <laughs> Two Rivers Independent School District. Yeah, these are I, some I, great I figured, questions. I figured that was yeah, be amazing questions. Thumbs what, up. What number is this on your top one hundred? Oh, that, now that is a good question. <laughs> okay, now we're talking. I think. I put this pretty, pretty freaking high up. Um, I'm going to go with number 63. You get the point. It was number 57. Yes. Terry said 71. <laughs> so you win trivia we five to one. That's amazing <laughs> questions. Those were not, it was not an easy movie to come <laughs> up with questions for. So the, the one, the one question I had that uh, was what kind of car did Jerry drive? Oh, in Isuzu. 
Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a good that, question. Yeah. I thought that was and a good not, one. Not many movies that feature a character driving an Isuzu. <laughs> <laughs> that's what, and I don't think it even exists anymore. So. I thought if, I think if Terry had asked, if you had asked the questions, Terry, it would have been, what are the books that Jerry reads to the little girl? And um, some of those are very notable children's books like Thumbelina and Jack and the Beanstalk. That's true. That's true. Uh, okay. Well, oh, this is gonna be fun. You guys hate this movie already. I, I, I can just, I can just tell. <laughs> All right. So, so do we, do we want to talk, uh, talk about the pledge or do you want to do Mount Rushmore next? I say let's do Mount Rushmore. And okay. Then we get into let's the get pledge. out of the way. Okay. Okay. Fine. So normally with our deep dives, we do a Mount Rushmore and usually it has something to do with, uh, with the movie, but we're usually. going in a completely different direction today. Because we love uh, this movie so much. And, and, and there, there's, well, no, there's a good reason for it. Um, I, I've got, I've got to look it up here. I, I didn't have it in front of me, but um, in honor of something that we've had set here at the almost sideways podcast for a while now, uh, what was it? Last year we did a uh, a deep dive of Pee Wee's Big Adventure, and um, we all kind of agreed that the the best minor character of that uh, movie was uh, Amazing Larry, the uh, the fireworks stand owner with the multicolored mohawk that uh, that um, <laughs> had no words and just like ten seconds of screen time, and it was pretty amazing. He was concerned uh, anyways, about Pee Wee's bike, though. I mean, he showed up at the meeting. He did show up. He did, but he was he was uh, distracted. too distracted. He was too distracted <laughs> to really pay that Pee-wee close attention. Yeah. <laughs> Is this something you want to share with the group, Amazing Larry? Um. That anyways, was a damn the good actor, impersonation. The actor who played that, his name is Lou Cattell. He died recently. Um, and uh, Pee Wee actually put it out. This is how I figured it out. I, I follow Pee Wee Herman on Twitter, and he put out a tweet. He died on November 21st, the age of 91, uh, and he'd been in a lot of stuff. Like, he'd been in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. He was in Wedding Crashers. Um, he was in, I mean, he he was, he got in, he got around. But um, anyways, we wanted to honor, we and our favorite minor character is named the Amazing Larry Award. And so we wanted to honor amazing larry by doing a uh, mount rushmore of the greatest larry's larry's uh, characters named larry like of all time right that's what we're going with mm-hmm. yeah so yeah. before we get back to the pledge the greatest characters named larry <laughs> are, are, are are we gonna say our our consensus is amazing larry yes absolutely Okay, I think Clearly. that's fair. I think that's fair. And we've always had like some other characters with him. Are we are we for sure just just going it's the amazing Larry award now? Um yeah, because Big I Tim like, Big like Tim he, is a great character though. But he and, also and High Roller like, is the other one. Yes. Big Tim was also yeah. like every care every category we can name him after. Yeah. I I think it's the amazing Larry award now. I think it's the big amazing Larry Big Tim High Roller award. Okay. Just leave it as they may. All right, we'll leave it alone. Anyways, okay, Zach, you're first. Who is the who is the your favorite Larry in uh, Larry character of all time? Okay, so I have a funny story to tell. Interestingly enough, 
So Larry is a very interesting name. Not a lot of great Larrys. I mean, not as many uh, like terrible characters like a Richard, for example. Like my theory that every character named Richard is a bad character, a bad person. Uh, but when I was five years old, uh, there was a TV show on that was called Perfect Strangers. I don't know if you guys ever watched Perfect Strangers. Did you? With Bronson Pinchot? Uh huh. Yeah. Pincho. Pincho. And his. The, the, it was a you know kind of. Uh, uh, unusual you know characters that meet each other and uh the main character in that show not the bronson pinchot character but uh the main american character was named larry on that show uh so i thought about going with that character but then i got drunk and i was reminded that i should just go with one character and that is from kill bill volume two larry the strip club owner played by a real life larry larry Bishop. Now, if you look at Larry Bishop's filmography on IMDb, what's really fascinating about it is he hasn't made a lot of movies since Kill Bill Volume 2, but he did make a movie in 2017 called Adretochrome, and he plays another character named Larry. Larry with guns. And then there is in pre-production a Adretochrome 2 where he plays Big Money Larry. Listen, you kids, all you care about is screw him with your cash. You're as useless as an asshole right here. And there, with all due respect to, uh, to Amazing Larry, RIP, there is no greater Larry character than Larry, the strip club owner in Kill Bill Volume 2. And Todd knows it. And uh, listen, we could do an entire episode devoted to Larry, the strip club owner. It's the greatest Tarantino character. It's the greatest character of the 2000s. Let's rename the award from Amazing Larry to Larry, the strip club owner. With his Amazing shotgun Larry, the strip and his cash. Amazing yeah. Larry, the strip club owner. <laughs> oh, great pick. Great pick. I'm going to go next because you kind of stole my thunder because my pick was Cousin Larry from Perfect Strangers. Oh, wow. No kidding. Yeah, that yeah, was, a, totally great was. Show. It was wow. a great show. It was great a great show. It was a great show. Uh, I, yeah, I Bronson Pincho, he was uh, Balky Bartakamus. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I remember watching that show as a little kid. And yeah. And that, that guy was, like, he never did anything ever again. Like, I've never seen or heard from him again. Um, I forget, what, what was Mark his name? Mark Baker. Yeah, Mark Lynn Baker. Yeah. Just kind of, and, and the perfect straight man to whatever the hell Bronson Pinchot was doing. Um, <laughs> great show. It, it was a great show. <laughs> great show. Uh, <laughs> no one knows what we're talking about. But listen, if you're, if you're laddie. 35, great show incredible concept great early 90s tv sitcom material todd do you remember do you remember this at all yeah i mean i remember watching it i don't remember the details of it but yeah it was i would i would have been pretty young but yeah yeah all right yeah so all right so we've got larry the strip, club owner, strip club owner we've got cousin larry todd Round well the out. first one i thought of was he, he, I don't know, he's just a guy who just wants to get some barbecue, man. And is Larry the bass player of Stillwater in all Oh, famous. nice. Oh. Which another is another wow. movie we did a deep dive of and was is one of our favorite characters because he's awesome. He also slept with Marta, but he did it after they broke up. He is, <laughs> he is one of our, yeah, he, I don't know, he, he was the first thing I thought of other than Larry the Cucumber. Larry I the thought about player. that one too. From Who's Stillwater. Larry? Who's Larry the Cucumber? Veggie Tales. Oh, did you ever, did no, you ever hear? No, no. no. Okay. I was watching Perfect Strangers as a kid, yeah. not Veggie Tales. 
the other one I was also thinking of was Larry is the name of the cop in Little Children. But that's just because we did a deep dive of it. The the only the other one I thought of, if I'd actually seen any of it, uh, I would have mentioned it. But uh, Larry Sanders from the Larry Sanders Show, but I never watched it. I've never seen. Yeah. It. What about Larry Fishburne? N- not a fictional character, but true. He was great in Boys in the Hood. Apparently, um, apparently Derek Zoolander's dad, played by John Voight, was named Larry Zoolander. Could have gone with that. The the coal miner. Yeah. How about Larry David? Well, that that as I was looking stuff up, Curb Your Enthusiasm was like the first thing that popped up. Yeah, that's a pretty clear one. Apparently, Lou Cattell was in an episode of Seinfeld. How about the 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 Del Shannon song "Hats Off to Larry"? He broke your heart, just like you broke mine when you said we were part. Uh... A, a, amazing early sixties. Uh, lyrics. I don't know. This this was a kind of a great uh, Mount Rushmore. I don't disagree like with any of those picks. It, it it's kind of it's kind of perfect. It's kind of perfect. It had nothing to do with the pledge, but we had to honor Amazing Larry. So Larry Larry Bender. I don't know if he goes by Larry, but he could because Larry is short for could Lawrence. Could just gone with Lawrence. There's yeah. probably some Lawrences, but I didn't think about that. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, he could have gone with like Lawrence of Arabia, but. I don't think any. I don't think Omar Sharif was calling him Larry. But. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. Could have gone with Larry Bird from Space Jam. That's He's not white. True. He's clear. Yeah, I think Larry's the main character in A Serious Man. Yes, I saw right. that one too. Or how about the greatest city in America, Larryville, Kansas? All right, I think we've talked enough about Larry. <laughs> but R.I.P. Amazing Larry. Let's get back to the pledge. <laughs> okay. That would have gone a lot better if we had done it before trivia, but that's okay. Let's talk about no, the pledge. That was, that was perfect. It was, it was perfect. It was. Zach, you picked the pledge to deep dive here. Um, so I want you to tell us what it's about and why you love it so much and your experience with it. All right. So the pledge is a fantastic movie that no one out there, including inferior movie podcasts, will ever deep dive. So I, we are the only ones who are ever going to deep dive it. That is why we are the Independent Spirit Awards uh, ballot nominee podcast here. Uh, the Pledge is a fantastic movie directed by Sean Penn, came out in 2001. Now, what's interesting is that for a long time, I thought it came out in 2000, but never mind that. Apparently, it came out in January 2001. I was prepared for uh, what the highest grossing movies was in 2001 when it came out. This was definitely not it, believe it or not. I I know this seems like real box office boffo, but uh, not exactly. Anyway, this movie stars Jack Nicholson in, here's maybe controversial opinion, I think it's his best performance. We've done a few Jack uh, movies on this podcast. We've done One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. We've done The Departed. I don't think he ever got better than his performance in this movie as retired detective jerry black who lives in reno nevada and at the beginning of the movie uh he is uh retiring there's even a retirement party that's a luau and uh unfortunately there is also simultaneously a little girl that gets murdered and so uh uh not larry jerry chooses to ditch his party and go to the site of the murder and uh of course it's a grisly scene 
And uh, no one wants to tell the parents of the little girl that she has been murdered except for Jerry. And Jerry goes to uh, the house of uh, Patricia Clarkson and Academy Award nominee Michael McKeon. And uh, he has to break the news that uh, little Jenny has died. And that is a great scene. And uh, Patricia it's not Clark- Michael McKeon, by the it, way. It is Michael McKeon, Academy Award nominee from uh, that Gene Hackman movie, right? No, Robert Duvall. Uh, it is Michael. Michael. That's right. He lost to Timothy Hutton in 1980. Anyway, um, uh, Jack Nicholson has to. Okay, so he gets basically. Uh, Patricia Clarkson says, "Listen, okay, uh, do you pledge on your soul's salvation that you will find the the murderer of my daughter?" And Jerry Black, even though he's retiring, says, "Yes, I I take that pledge. I accept that pledge." And so the rest of the movie is him basically in retirement, saying, "I'm going to try to find this killer," even though. Arguably, Jerry Black is a very unreliable protagonist. Uh, he is an alcoholic. He is someone who is old and retired past his prime. Eventually, he buys a gas station uh, just because it's the site of possibly where multiple murders have occurred of little girls. And in an attempt to lure uh, the killer, uh, he actually uh, befriends a, a local waitress played by Robin Wright in uh and she has a young daughter and uh the movie uses brilliantly i think the metaphor of fishing and live bait um he uses the girl to try to bait this hypothetical serial killer who may or may not exist listen i think this is a phenomenal movie apparently it's my number what 57 movie of all time i think it's it's brilliant uh it is a brilliant psychological portrayal of a character who uh cannot accept that uh, he may be delusional, he may be crazy, he may be a cop on the hunch, which is a cliche. But I think the way that this movie handles it is uh, kind of brilliant. Um, I, it is also an actor's clinic, okay? Uh, Sean Penn was able to assemble an A-list cast in this movie, um, and we got some huge actors. We got Helen Mirren, we got Vanessa Redgrave, we've got Independent Spirit Award winner 2008 Mickey Rourke, We've got uh, Robin Wright. We got Tom Noonan, and this is a flat-out brilliant movie that I think holds up very well, in spite of the fact that no one has actually seen it. So, go ahead out there, people, watch it. Um, I think it's wonderful. Yeah, I I watched this in college because you made me at one point. I did. Yeah. Wow, I don't remember that. Yeah, you you get, I believe you have, it though because you you own if I, I remember right movie. you own like. The, the DVD copy that like has the little plastic thing on the end that you have I, to open up. God and... damn it, Terry. I was going to bring it in here to show <laughs> off. I, that's the only thing I own. Is this movie even available on Blu-ray? I, I have no so. idea. Probably not. I, I watched it on Canopy. Um, but, uh, it, and apparently it's also available on Tubi, but I didn't want to have to deal with the ads. Um, so yeah, I watched it back in college. And what I remember about it is that I watched it back in college. <laughs> and I didn't. Re- I really remember Did the nothing fan club else. Watch it too. I don't remember. I don't. I don't think so. Okay. But um. So I I went into I went into watching it. I watched it this morning actually, and it it felt like a first time watch because I remembered nothing else about this movie. Like like I I knew I re- zero. I remembered nothing about what it was about or anything. Uh, and it's a fascinating movie. Um, it, it's it, it's a little a little too convenient it feels at times and in how it ends. Uh, But at the same time, what movie doesn't at times, 
you know, it could just kind of feel convenient in that way. Um, the the way it plays with um, the ending and and perceived reality versus actual reality is fascinating. Um, I I felt like it it um, it reminded me a lot of a movie we talked about this year, Stillwater. I thought it 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 had a lot of that in it. In that, it's like the movie ends. And then it's well, what happens after that? And and it, it just kind of the aftermath of that, and 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 the the main character, you know, kind of incorporating himself into a new family, almost um, waiting for something to to break. Uh, and um, I also felt like the the tiny little church out in the country. It felt like the devil all the time. That crappy Tom Holland Robert Pattinson movie we watched last year. Um, so yeah, there were little things like that, that I kept on thinking that may have borrowed from this intentionally or unintentionally. Um, I think I'm trying to remember what I gave this originally. I think I gave it three stars. Um, and I, I, I haven't decided if I'm leaving it there yet or not. Um, where is it? Yeah, it's at three stars. Um, I might bump it up to three and a half. I feel like this this suffers a little bit from um, from a similar thing to to what I was ha- feeling with Power of the Dog too. In that it there there's it tries to set up the ending so much by not doing anything for long stretches of time <laughs> that that do you really care about the ending when it finally happens? Um, so I, 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 I'm, I'm debating on whether it's a three or three and a half, but I really enjoyed the, the watch and I always love a great twist ending. And this is a twist unlike anything you've, you've seen in anything else. So Todd, what'd you think of this one? Yeah, I also had only seen it once, but I think originally I watched it because I, I am a big fan of Sean Penn as a director. I think I've, I watched it around the time that Into the Wild came out. I, I mean, I love the Indian Runner and the Crossing Guard. And this, I mean, it's sort of well-worn territory with the detective thing. He's sort of just like going and incorporating himself into the case kind of thing that, that we see all the time, but it's just really good. And yeah, Jack Nicholson's great. It's not his best performance, but I mean, it, it is probably his most underrated work. And it is fun watching like all these actresses pop in for one scene. It it, it is pretty crazy because this is like right probably during Benicio del Toro's like Oscar run that this movie actually was released, which had oh, to be yeah. jarring because yep. he's in like you know one scene. And I don't know. I mean th- that that kind of thing is fun. And I I don't have a problem with how everything comes together. That is it almost packs like a TV show ending into this like two hour movie, which is. I mean, it's pretty impressive, and you, you do feel like you know every one of these characters. It is, it's, 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 a, it's a really good movie. Yeah, I have a whole category here called um, Odd Parallels to Par- Power of the Dog. <laughs> I was not expecting that, because uh, I only watched Power of the Dog last <laughs> night, but there, there are some unusual parallels uh, between the two movies. Well, I told you that like uh, when you chose this, I was like, that actually goes well with Power of the Dog <laughs> when you chose the movie. And I hadn't even seen Power of the Dog yet, but I just knew from the. So, so here's what I wrote down. I said, old versus young generations. Um, there's a waitress and a young child. Buried homosexuality. Very 60s and 70s vibe. Slow burn. 
idolizing a great man from the past and lots of animals. Uh, we have uh, dogs, cattle, cattle in this movie, uh, fish, birds, and porcupines. Not real porcupines, though. No. Shoe cleaners and well, cookies. Yeah, yeah. A few different porcupines. Some bigger, some smaller. Nice. nice. I love your comparison with Stillwater, Terry. I think I actually brought up the pledge in my four-star review of Stillwater. Not yeah, the band. I, I kept on thinking of thinking of it as I was as I was watching because that I, I think it it's very it very clearly has some parallels there in uh, in just the way it's all set up. So what's strange about this movie is that I I did not see it in a theater. I was you know 13 years old when this movie came out but um i do remember ebert's review of it which he gave three and a half stars to subsequently gave a great movies uh re-review to many years later and i knew i wanted to see this movie because it just sounded so fascinating and i think you're right i mean it jack jack had not done anything since as good as it gets one thing i love about this movie is it is so freaking un-hollywood this movie is so dark, so twisted, so depraved, so depressing that I can't really imagine it coming out in 2021. However, one of the things I think is interesting about this movie is I actually think it could come out in 2021 if it was on Netflix. I don't think any studio would ever seriously back this movie unless it was just a straight to streaming uh, platform. One, I mean, this is a TV show now. There's no way yeah. this is actually a movie in 2021. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's probably a, yeah, at least a four or five episode series that goes deeper into the psychology. Instead of five minute sequences with Helen Mirren and Vanessa Redgrave, we get longer sequences. and We get an episode of each e of them. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is fascinating. The movie I think is most similar to is like Primal Fear. Because, I mean, mm. it, that's another movie that, yeah, could, that would comparison. easily be expanded. And it's a movie that is more about the aura and observation of everything than it is actually about the little details of the case. Because, I mean, there are just scenes where things are happening, but you don't really, it doesn't really matter that much. But it, it's interesting because the actors are interesting. Yeah, I, I think that this is a kind of like Power of the Dog. This is a fascinating movie to talk about. And especially the ending. And because yeah. you've got some you've got your great twist endings here. And I mean, this whole thing, it's building up to him trying to set up this, uh, trying to catch this, this killer. And again, if you haven't seen this, just stop listening, go watch it. Like I said, it's, 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 on approved. it's yeah, it's on canopy. It's on Tubi. You got, you, you got to watch this movie. Um, but he goes and he's, he's trying to set it up and, and it's all it's that constant back and forth of is he crazy or is he not crazy? It, does he actually know what he's talking oh, about? I love that. Don't and, you just love that in movies? Are, and, is, and, is the protagonist crazy or not? Right. But the best part about this one is the answer is no, but it drives him crazy because it never happens. I mean, that that's what that's what just is, is so brilliant about the ending of this movie is that it it flips this common like trope on its head it, because it, this always pops up it, but it does it in it twists it in a way that I've never seen before 
And I mean, talking to talk about just being a product of coincidence here, but still, I mean, that stuff happens and it, it, it just blows you away when you see how that, how it ends. I don't think it's a coincidence. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't describe it as that. I would say that I think there's still very amb- ambiguous uh, qualities to this screenplay, whether this guy really is the killer or not. Going into this movie, I decided, listen, I've seen this movie a lot. I'm going to go into this movie believing that Benicio Del Toro was the killer. And you know what? Screw Jack. I'm going to say that, you know what? He was delusional. He's very alcoholic in this movie. I mean, he's drinking out of a freaking whiskey in the first scene of this movie while ice fishing. I, I Mad props to that. But may, you know what? Maybe maybe the cops are right in this movie. Maybe it was just Benicio all, all along. And he's crazy. This is like Heart of a Dog or Power of the Dog. Excuse me. You have to not the not the Kirsten Johnson movie. You have to uh, talk about this movie. It, it, are we supposed to believe this guy who's a drunk, who's an imbecile, twenty years ago a great cop, or was he right all along? And it's just a tragic coincidence that he dies. I don't know. I think it's kind of a brilliant ending. And at first, I didn't I didn't love the ending. I was like, okay, you're right, Terry. That that is too convenient. But actually, it's sort of a perfect ending in a way because who knows like i i I don't know i i I think it's wonderful see and i think it's it's super convenient but at the same time it it shows something that is um that is fascinating in that like i said perceived reality versus actual reality yes he thought he was crazy and he and he wasn't, but he thought he was and went crazy. And and it makes that the last scene of the movie just heartbreaking. Um, as you see him as this drunk muttering to himself, why? Because this guy dies in a car accident before he's ever able to get caught. And and so he thought he had lost it. He thought he was crazy. He thought he had nothing left to live for yeah. when he was right. Um. What's also really interesting about this movie is that it's a very clear three-act structure. You got the tragedy at the beginning, you got the rebuilding part, Jerry on the case for the second act, and then the third act is, you know, the climax. This movie gets better as it goes along, okay? The the beginning stuff, the first 40 minutes, we've kind of seen before, it's sort of routine. It's well done, but it's well executed, but it's sort of routine. This movie gets better, like all great movies. And uh, it kind of goes in a, in a direction that you don't expect, but it, it, it's kind of brilliant. Do you guys agree that it gets better as it goes along? Do you guys agree with the theory that movies that movies that are truly great movies get better as they get as they go along? Um, I don't know. I, I I feel like you just said last week that you said something you only watched the first like forty five minutes of it. That's true. Yeah, I forget what movie that was. <laughs> uh, Home for the Holidays. Oh yeah, there it is. This movie gets better as it goes along. I would. I'm say not that... sure. I'm not sure I necessarily agree with that, but I mean, it, I I I can see what you mean because you're not going to turn it off. Because yeah. Yeah. I think the the reason why I don't know it, it it goes through a little lull in the middle, but it just it's because it changes gears. I wouldn't necessarily say it gets better, 
but but because it 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 almost like starts over and creates a brand new exposition in the second act yeah similar to stillwater yeah in that it basic it basically starts the movie over again so very true yeah all right let's recast this movie because okay there are so many great uh, one of the reasons I chose it, it, I mean, this is a completely indulgent pick, but the reason I chose it is because of how many great small performances there are in this movie. Okay, huge so actors. So we agreed to five uh, that we're going to recast all together, and if you have any more, you can go with it. Yeah. So we're going to start with uh, start with Jerry Black, played by Jack Nicholson. Todd, who do you have as the new Jerry Black? Well, if you want someone that might be crazy, but you don't know if he's crazy or not, you have to go with Alec Baldwin. Plus, I think that the, like the weird, <laughs> wow. like, he he's really, really? Good at playing a cop, and he's around that right age. And he, I don't know, I, the little the little things that he does, the ticks that he does, would be a little exaggerated with Alec Baldwin. But I think it'd be really, really entertaining. Listen, Jerry fires a gun in this movie. I don't think Alec Baldwin should be on any sets where he fires a gun. Is that too soon? Too soon. Too soon. Okay, sorry. Might be crazy. I don't know. All right, I'll go next. Uh, my my Jerry uh, again. I'm thinking exudes that like grizzled um, vibe of of being the the upright moral center and and uh, and law enforcement. I went with Gary Sinise. Mm. He's about the right age. I could see him. I could see Lieutenant Dan pull this off <laughs> with legs. With with legs. You'd have to have legs in this one, though. Yeah. All right, Zach. Not getting the measles. Um, yes, not getting the measles in this one. That'd be bad. I think this is an insanely easy role to recast. It's not going to win my highest war, unfortunately, even though it's a great performance. Uh, a lot of directions you could go. I, You guys tell me. Uh, I, I had four nominees. I went with Matt Dillon to make this a Matt Dillon movie. Uh, Bill Murray. Because Bill Murray has not been in any serious movies, and he's I think so this, this he's too old. Well, okay, possibly he's pushing eighty. <laughs> he's, you're right; he's possibly too old for this. I agree, but listen, I mean, Jack was not in movies like this. Like, what is so brilliant about this movie? This is not a typical Jack Nicholson performance. Like, he's not hitting on younger women. He's not flirtatious. It's he's similar not... to cro- the Crossing Guard, though. Oh, um, okay. I'll, I'll I'll give you that, but I would love to see Bill Murray in a role like this before before he retires from acting, like Gene Hackman. I also went with Brandon Fraser, um, because after no that's Brandon Sa- Fraser, Brandon Fraser after that Steven Brand- Soderbergh Brandon. movie, Brandon, Brandon Fraser, Fraser, the Mummy, yeah. After after that that Steven Soderbergh movie, I want to see more of him. And then uh, I also went with um, Mark Lynn Baker because he played Larry. <laughs> And what's he doing these days? Let's get him back in the stratosphere of movies. And then the last pick, which is the most important pick, not Clint Eastwood. That, that's a good call. Good call. Not Clint Eastwood is not a good call. Clint. No Clint. Clint Eastwood would have destroyed this movie. <laughs> I think I'm going to go with uh, with my pick. Yeah. Well, all right. His morals are always questionable when you've seen Snake Eyes. <laughs> Who? Gary? Denise? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's true. That's true. That's true. Honestly, a, pretty much any any actor over the age of sixty could play this role. 
maybe not Dom DeLuise, okay, but pretty much anyone else. The other one I was thinking was like Willem Dafoe. Sure, I could see that one working out too. Why not? I don't think I don't know about anybody. I but, think it, um, name, name an actor who couldn't besides Clint. I, I think anyone could play it. I was looking at some that I were was thinking. No, there's no. Well, some of the actors you mentioned, Zach, aren't even sixty, right? Like Brendan Fraser has got to be like fifty. Matt Dillon, I know, isn't sixty. I think Matt Dillon would kind of kill in this role. I actually, he, he would be my choice. I, I think he'd be, be really good. Though. I, I yeah. Why not? I don't know. I, I could kind of see it. I think there's actually a little bit of the house that Jack built in this movie. Just a little bit. Maybe because it's snowy out and there's a killer on the loose. I, I don't know. I, I, like, I, th- I, I think Matt Dillon would be great in this role. Alright, I'm just looking at a few. There, there, I got a few here that'd be, that'd be kind of fun to, to see. How about Bill Fickner in this role? Oh, yeah. Has he ever yeah, been in the Yeah. Cranston? Cranston could do this. Yes, he could do it in his sleep. <laughs> but this is Jack's best performance. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> that's what's great about it. It's against uh, type. All right, let, let's move on. Um, Lori the Waitress, played by Robin Wright Penn. Todd, who do you have? Uh, I mean, this is a great Robin Wright kind yeah. of role. But you need somebody who is... Like instantly warm and likable, and to me, that's Mila Kunis. <laughs> no, no, no. Why? Oh, she's gonna lose her tooth. She's gonna be a waitress living in the middle of want, country she Nevada. Had a movie this year, where she was uglied up pretty good. No, Although, yeah, that's I mean, awesome Robin movie. Wright losing her tooth. She does look like Eileen Warnos. That's what I was saying. I had Charlie's written down. Not my pick, but I think she could she could do it. I, I wrote down Anne Hathaway. Maybe. But, That's but, more I mean, realistic than Mila Kunis. Anne Hathaway or Reese Witherspoon. God, I think I like happen. Reese Witherspoon and Wild. I think that's too big of an actress, though. I mean this is this is Jenna. That, that's yeah. playing this. I mean, that Robin Wright is a decent. Director. It is the wife of the director. That is yeah. true. Yeah, yeah, that is true. All right, Zach, what what is what are your choices here? I went with Kirsten Dunst because after the Power of the Dog, yeah. there we go. She's kind of great in the Power of the Dog. I would have no problem with her winning supporting actress, and I think Kirsten Dunst actually exudes that role quite nicely. So no problem there, Kirsten Dunst. Yeah. That's a great pick. That's a great pick. All right. Toby Wadenaugh, played by Benicio Del Toro. There Todd. We go. I, I don't know. I mean, fr- fresh off his Oscar, uh, I went with Rami Malek. Because I have no idea. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is this is Benicio just doing his thing. I, yeah. It's possible to reach out. I, I, I kind of went in a similar uh, path. I went Riz Ahmed. Okay. Zach. Do you remember that movie that we saw, Terry, in the movie theater uh, with Halle Berry? The Things We Lost in the Fire <laughs> with Benicio Del Toro. Yep. Like, Benicio Del Toro just freaking owns that movie. You know, he's just doing his thing. No one's asking any questions. It's a crazy role. Honestly, I would probably recast this. The, the best choice to recast this now is Benicio Del Toro. 
I mean, he hasn't really aged. Well, and that, the last that 20 character years. doesn't yeah. really need any particular age. Yeah, it needs Benicio del Toro. That's what it needs. <laughs> <laughs> what do you have, Zach? This was a hard role to recast. I don't know, guys. I, I mean, I think you're kind of right in this. Um, I I don't know. I I, I kind of have I kind of have nothing. I I sort of forgot that I wanted to recast this role. If I'm being honest. Okay. Okay. Well, then we'll move on. Well, I'll, I'll come back to it. How about okay. that? Okay. Next one we got is a uh, Stan Krolak played by Aaron Eckhart. Uh, the, the detective that um, is working alongside kind of taking uh, Jack's place. Todd, who do you have? This one's pretty recastable, although Eckhart does fit that mold pretty well. I, I went with Jamie Bell, but I mean, anyone yeah. in that age range pretty, pretty much could nail this kind of role. Yeah, I, I think what's interesting is this is, I mean, Aaron Eckhart is kind of an up-and-comer at this point, isn't this? This is right out, coming off of uh, Aaron Brockovich, which he was in. So he he's starting to get noticed. I went with Steven Yoon. Oh, there we go. That's a, I, I kind of like that. That could work. All right, Zach, I went, what do you got? I went with Aaron Taylor Johnson. <clears throat> I mean, so, someone who could indulge in the role. It, it's not terribly unrecastable. I, I'd be intrigued to see what he would do with it. Yeah. All right. Last one. I just have Tom Noonan written down. I didn't write down his actual. <laughs> What's his name? I don't know his character's name. Oh, Gary it's Gary. Gary. Gary Jackson. Is that it? Sounds right. Yeah. Very memorable. Gary. Gary yeah, the that, that was one thing I noticed. The, the names in this movie were not all that original, except for Toby J. Wadena. Yeah, Toby Wadena is a great character. It name. is a great name. But Jerry right. Black. <laughs> Gary, because his soul is black. Gary the Preacher, played by Tom Noonan, <laughs> played by the original Tooth Fairy. Uh, yeah, which is uh, why you're supposed to think that he's exactly, good, right? <laughs> exactly. That's why it's the perfect casting. Thought who do you got? Uh, well, you need somebody who's super freaking tall, and uh, <laughs> for me, there's three actors that came to mind. One is, of course, Army Hammer, because why not yeah. always say him for these? Uh, another well. one is a uh, former uh, national champion, you know, Husky uh, Joel McHale, and the one that I actually want is uh, Vince Vaughn. Ooh, I, wow, he's got that kind of like. He he he's he wow. could be really nice, but he could also be super mean. And when when you go into the the church, that like that scene, I feel like yes, Vince Vaughn would have to own that. That is fantastic. That is that is good. That That's is better good. than mine. Damn it. Uh, so so a couple I considered I considered Robert Pattinson because I think this character is basically his character in Devil All the Time. Um, when you were uh, saying that. Tom Noonan was the original Tooth Fairy. I kind of wanted to say Ray Fiennes because he was the new Tooth Fairy. No. Um, but that doesn't really fit. Um, the one I, I wrote down was Paul Bettany. But I don't know if that's Persona-wise, yeah, but he's not a giant. He, he, he's fairly... He's, he's more lanky, which makes him look taller than he actually is. Yeah. But, well, I mean, well what, what about Cody Smith McPhee? That, that kid too, is tall. Too, too young. But lanky enough. Yeah, he's super lanky. <laughs> All right, Zach, who do you have? Bill Bill Sarsgaard. Um, e easy pick. 
But I, I going I, back to the devil all the time. Well, I, I agree but though. He's too young too, though. Well, Wait, are you thinking Bill like or sixty or Alexander Skarsgård? Alexander, maybe. that's the one. Alexander Skarsgård, I can see working. No, I, I went with Bill, the guy, the uh, Pennywise. He's like thirty years old. Tom Noonan is a is like a sixty year old preacher. Well, okay, it's a different interpretation of the role. <laughs> I, but you win, Todd. Yeah, points to you. Oh, Vince no. Vaughn's a Vince Vaughn is inspired recasting. I agree. That would be great. Well, thank you. Okay, give me one second here. <laughs> I don't know who I would cast as Toby Wadnot. That is that is Loki really tough recasting. I know. I thought I I I didn't write down anyone. Okay. Well, let's just move on. Who would Nicolas Cage play? He could play Toby Wadnot. Yes, one hundred percent. In the nineties, he would have been Stan. Because, I mean, he yes. already stand the good speed pretty much as that role. Could he play Jerry now? Yes. Yes, 100%. He, the ticks. He has the ticks. Yep. I could see it. I could see I, it. He could play the Sam Shepard role, too. The police chief. He could play the angry father. I, there's a lot of roles in this movie he could play. All right. Highest war of the movie. Zach, who do you say? I'm going with Robin Wright, because even though I think uh, Jack Nicholson gives a career best performance in this movie, uh, it's very hard to think of another actress in, in 2000 that would quite have uh, the delivery and the look that Robin Wright had in this movie uh, with her cap tooth and, uh, you know, getting beat up by her bullshit ex-husband without the restraining order. Uh, she's amazing in this movie. Um I think I think that it, with a better campaign, had this movie been released one month earlier, this is my con big conspiracy theory about this movie. This movie would have been a serious Oscar contender at the 2000 Oscars. I think actually Jack Nicholson could have beat out Russell Crowe. Now, do I really think that um, Robin Wright would have beat out Marsha Gay Harden in the most corrupted category of all time in the history of supporting actress? I don't know, but I think she's amazing in this movie and. She she brings a sort of grace and elevation to the second half of this movie that is phenomenal, and uh, I I think it's her maybe her best performance in any movie. All right, all right. I'm gonna go with the one that we had the most trouble recasting, and that's Benicio del Toro as Toby Wadna. I I mean it's it's this tiny role, but as Benicio does, he makes pretty much any role he he jumps into unforgettably him and uh and it i mean any movie he's in you could easily say he has the highest war and so i'm going with that i feel like that's also the role that sean penn would have played in the movie if he was actually in it yeah oh that's interesting yeah, that's a good point and what was it just two years later he was starring with him in uh, 21 grams so all right todd what do you say uh I will go with Vanessa Redgrave because similar to Atonement, she has one scene and she comes in and she just, it's just like, yeah, it's a master class. Like she is a legend for a reason. And, but this is what makes Sean Penn great is like having actors like that just come in and do one thing. He did that similar thing with Into the Wild where there's like all these actors that come in so that, that he comes across throughout the movie and they give like one scene, really great performance. 
but she actually gives like almost Oscar worthy work in like a four minute little like one shot basically. She's amazing. All right, all right. The, th the thing is with Helen Mirren is I think her in 2021 this role would have been played by Tilda Swinton, or I didn't say Helen Mirren. Oh. He said Vanessa Redgrave. Okay, better choice. I'm sorry. Forget that. We'll cut that out. There we go. So looking here, I mean, the pledge didn't do a whole lot, like awards wise, but it did do something. Like it was nominated for the Palm Door at Cannes. It was on the top ten list on the National Board of Review. It, um, Jack Nicholson was nominated at the Toronto Film Festival, and so it had some stuff, um, even if it wasn't wasn't big stuff anyways okay uh worst performance todd worst performance and i i don't i'm not going to look up what their names are but all of the children <laughs> all of the children <laughs> <laughs> do you know that when i was re-watching this movie with uh sammy my wife we both said todd is going to pick the little girl as the worst performance well, i almost went with lois smith just because uh, Twister. <laughs> she was the worst performance in that, too. But, you know. <laughs> uh, well, I'll go next, because mine's mine's vaguely related to that. My worst performance is the Snowmobile Kid, because oh, wow. uh, his scene at the beginning uh, makes us feel like just an episode of CSI. <laughs> oh, that's, that, yeah. that, that is cold, man. It, 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 well, that is one thing about that scene, too, is it was very cold. It was, it, yeah, it was probably cold out. Yes, yes. It, 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 nothing screams the desert like like a snowy scene. But um, I, I love that the scene with that kid later on, though, where Jack is just standing yes. there on the side of the road with his yes. his mouth, just like, "What the hell is that kid again?" <laughs> of course, wearing his shades because he always wore shades. By that uh, <laughs> that little four year hiatus, like he's like, "Okay, I'm wearing I'm wearing sunglasses for the rest of my life." All right, Zach, what's your worst performance? My worst performance is Benicio Del Toro in a movie with lots of underplayed, subtle performances. Benicio goes all out in that performance, and it doesn't match the tenor of the rest of the, the characters in the movie. And Yet he's unrecastable. You may be right, but I, I watching it again, it just didn't feel right. It felt it felt di disconnected from the rest of the characters. I say that as because it is my number 57 movie of all time. Blind, dude. You're blind. And it's a great movie. I, there's no he bad He was not on your worst performances in four-star movies list, though. No, of course not. There's no bad performances in this movie, especially not the children. <clears throat> the little girl is very good in this movie. I was very impressed by her performance. She was my second highest uh, war performance. All right. Amazing Larry Memorial Award for the best minor character. <laughs> yes, there we go. Goes to I'll go first. I'm giving it to Helen Mirren. Yeah. Um, I I loved her her one scene, and that, that's the thing about this movie that we kind of mentioned is there's so many little characters played by big actors. Yeah, but um, I think I loved Helen Mirren's scene just because his thought to go to like a child art psychologist and try and get a, an analysis done i i found that fascinating so and she did and she was great and she was great in it, so see here's the complaint i have about helen mirren is that her role would be recast in 2021 by by tilda swinton or 
Kristen Wiig in, in her impression of Tilda Swinton a la Barb and Star. <laughs> Todd maybe, maybe. With that. All right. Uh, Zach, who do you got? Uh, what, what category is this? Amazing Larry. Oh, Amazing Larry. Okay. I went with Harry Dean Stanton. HDS. Second, second straight deep dive with HDS. And he's amazing in this movie in his uh, one and a half minutes. Listen, I want to know more about that character, man. How long has he been operating that gas station? <laughs> I mean, are we talking 20 years? 30 years? Backstreet Boys poster. In Backstreet there. Boys poster with the dollar? Um, listen, I, I, he's moving to Arizona. Something along the line. We talked about how this would be a series on Netflix. I think we would get an extra scene in a series on Netflix where Harry Dean Stanton realizes, yeah, he should sell the gas station. I want to know what that scene is. The movie's missing that. Why does he realize, okay, I should I should just move to Arizona with my handicapped daughter? Uh, it, it's a great moment. It's a great scene. He's wonderful in this movie, and I love everything Harry Dean Stanton is in. Well, Even though Loki that... was my worst performance of Alpha Dog. I wrote him down to uh, as a possibility mainly because his name is Floyd Cage, and that sounds like a made-up running back in two K five. Yes, which I also thought about Bronco Henry. Like, so, <laughs> I'm not sure which one. Is. <laughs> uh, great call. All right, Todd, who's your amazing Larry? Uh, so, so a similar roundabout way of doing this, like uh, I said, Dwayne Larson, which is played by Michael O'Keefe, not Michael McKeon. Because and when I saw him, I was like, "Oh, that's Noonan," and I was like, "Oh shit, we have to recast him." I was like, "No, we're recasting Tom Noonan." (laughs) He's my favorite minor character. (laughs) That that was perfect. That's perfect. Awesome. Okay, Stickman and Douchebag, Todd, Spider Stickman, Billy Bats Douchebag. Who do you got? I mean, Douchebag. I, I mean, I, there aren't that many douchebags, I feel like. I, I mean, I guess Stan, no. just because he, he fits the profile and that mustache. And Stickman, I don't think there are really many Stickman either, but apparently Jerry is still sexually active. So <laughs> I guess we'd have to go with him, right? Yeah, I went with Jerry too. I, I, I have the same answers. Jerry for, for Stickman and, and douchebag, is, it's Stan. Mainly because of how he how he handles Toby in that, in that uh, interrogation. And and just doesn't care because he want he wants the win. I mean that yeah, that's a very say, douchey thing to do. What 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 did Jerry say about it? He's like he practically something. I forget, it was something. It was some punchline there. Yeah yeah yeah. I forget what exactly he what he said. He gave him head or something. No. Yeah. He, yeah. Yeah yeah yeah. And then he calls him a clown at the end of the movie. That that's a douchey thing to do. <laughs> Don't you think that the whole impetus for this movie is Jerry's unsatisfaction with Aaron Heckhart replacing him? By the way, maybe conspiracy theory about this movie. Did you guys... So I, I watched on YouTube lately, there was a scene in about Schmidt where Jack is replaced by his replacement in Nebraska or whatever. That's that's exact same as this movie. Like I haven't seen about Schmidt. What? Yeah. It's on so, the list for next the year. theater, man. It's on the it's on the list for next year. Jesus. Yeah. Do you agree with it? Do you remember that scene, Todd? I mean, yeah. it, it, they're kind of playing the same role. Jerry Black is sort of the same as Schmidt. Like they feel they they feel like that's what I love about this movie. This movie is all about someone who has given his life to his career and now he has nothing to do. 
it, it is retirement crisis. I think that's what Sean Penn even said about the movie, according to Wikipedia. I'm sorry, what was the category? Uh, Spider Stickman, Billy Spider Stickman. Okay, uh, Stickman. Boy, we need to make a power rankings of movies we cannot deep dive because it's inappropriate to talk about Stickman. This would be in the top five. Like, this is such uh, a dark and depressing yes. movie. Like, there's no, it's not funny to talk about Stickman. This is such a depraved, like, I mean, when you're looking at those, like, you know, the crime scenes of the girls mutilated, like, that's not fun to talk about. That's horrible, man. Like, we're never going to come up with the Schindler's List because uh, Stickman. So, we're never going to deep dive that movie. This is on the same list. Anyway, my biggest stick man of this movie was sean penn because he's i got getting, my money on ben kingsley by the way he's, he's probably getting it in with <laughs> robin wright because i think they were married at the time and my biggest douchebag of this movie is obviously aaron eckhart great call there's no comparison uh the, the, yeah todd did a great job of calling out the mustache getting the confession in the record time always a great uh priority of a police officer uh, totals sick, uh, not stick man, douchebag, and uh, probably the reason why uh, Jerry resists his retirement because of what a horrible replacement he had. My my other my other nominee for both of those is uh, is Robin Wright's ex husband. Yeah, that's terrible, Terry. I mean, that's why we can't do Stickmen for some movies. We can't deep dive in the bedroom because there's no Stickmen in this movie. That is so inappropriate to even ask. Like, listen, that's a power ranking we got to do sometime. Maybe top five non-Stickmen of Perfect Strangers. I don't know. <laughs> What's the best scene in this movie, Zach? Okay, a lot of great picks. Boy, a lot of great picks. I think I'm going to go with... Believe it or not, I rewatching it again. The best scene in this movie is the scene where Patricia Clarkson uh, says, "Do you pledge on your soul salvation to uh, find the killer?" Great scene. And what I love about that scene too is that that that's a scene where we can see where Jerry is a great detective. He gives those little like facial intonations. You, you asshole, you know, you're smoking in the house. Get out of here. You know, he just gives us little like facial, like, you know, uh, signs. And it's just uh boy, a phenomenal scene. So many great scenes. in this movie. It's very hard to choose. Like the, 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 the cinematography of that moment when he's walking with all the turkeys. I, I, amazing. Sean Penn is a great director. Why hasn't he done more movies as a director? Phenomenal. He made a movie last Phenomenal. year and it's apparently was terrible. I mean, a movie this year. That apparently was terrible. Oh, yeah. oh, that was this year? Yeah, Flag Day was this year. Okay. That scene just, is... Nobody is, saw it, so it feels like last year. <laughs> that scene is better than 95% of movies. Why can't he do more stuff like that? That That is a phenomenal scene and Patricia Clarkson is amazing in that moment and... Uh, Michael Michael what's his name is also awesome and and deserving of his best supporting actor nomination 1980. The God, what's the best scene? The great Santini. Uh I I really like the scene where they actually are trying to set up the wizard because mm -hmm. that that scene has a really interesting staging. I'm not really sure how that's a picnic area. It's like a little table that's next to a creek, but it's really good for like a stakeout kind of thing that they're setting up and it I'm not really sure the spacing of that, but it all was really complicated. And it looked really cool, and it's super suspenseful because you actually don't know. You're you're like, oh shit, we're gonna finally see what this guy looks like because you you totally are with it that that he's setting him up right. There's a it, the 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 stakes of that scene are really great, and uh, 
super suspenseful. Yeah, I've got I've got a couple I'll mention. One is um, that's kind of a subtly great scene is the uh, the um, the construction of the swing set. Yeah, I thought that was a really cool scene, and just the way he has he he's able to subtly nudge her into no this is where we need to have it right next to the road um i thought that was yeah Yeah. and then and then um the other ones i was thinking was when he is did anyone uh, recast juliette lewis as the mother that would have been inspired recasting as well i also like the scene where he is um racing to the church I, I that that's a brilliant scene. Um, Those cattle, man. You know the, the cattle are at a low key LVP candidate in this movie, and and he is racing through those farmlands and and breaking the the gates. Wonderful, wonderful moment in his Zuzu. Yeah. The last one I want to mention is just the the final shot, just that 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 final that final bit of him just babbling is just beautiful yeah that was that was one thing that stuck with me from the first time i watched it was like the the final shot you i knew i remembered the movie because i remembered that scene i'm like okay Mm. if there were a sequel what would it look like oh i had a good one for this go for it it would be about how um uh the daughter what's her name I don't think that's it. No. Okay. It would be about how Robin Wright's daughter, <laughs> I forgot her name. Uh, she would grow up and become Elliot Page in Hard Candy. She would lure in the pedophiles and castrate them uh-huh. like Patrick Wilson, a la Little Children. It, be, it would become Hard Candy slash Girl with Dragon Tattoo. She would become a fighter. So, so my pick here is this isn't, is not, uh, if there were a sequel, I'm saying that this is a sequel and that, um, that Jerry Black is really JJ Giddy's going into retirement from Chinatown. Nice. Okay. You know, Chinatown did have a sequel. It was called the two Jakes. I know. I know. Directed by Jack. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good call. I never saw it. Todd, did you have anything for this? No? Okay. Uh, Flaws, outdated things, conspiracy theories. I've got one conspiracy theory. My conspiracy theory is that Jerry Black in one of his marriages (laughs) had a son and named him Jack. And he became a rock god. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) There's There's my conspiracy theory. (laughs) <laughs> fantastic uh, and you guys have anything wow uh, flaws this is clearly not shot in Nevada I, I think there's one shot that was probably in Nevada but none of this is I, I think I saw it was actually in British Columbia do you but... think Jerry's a good gambler like he probably <laughs> plays the slots I would guess not not the blackjack tables yeah, he would not be a blackjack player. That's for sure. Uh, another flaw is that this movie did not somehow have Eric Roberts in it. 
There yeah. needed to be at least one scene with Eric Roberts. He probably could have played Toby. That would have been interesting. <laughs> I thought um, he, he he could is right about the right age to play uh to play Jerry now actually. Or what about the scene with the shirtless cop who's like uh I got an adrenaline rush. I don't oh, know. Gosh. Yeah, yes. I don't. I couldn't find that, that actor. Would have in been Nicholas Cage. That's Nicholas Cage or Eric Roberts. That was a great scene too. I don't remember what he got an adrenaline rush. What was he doing from, from seeing it, the dead it, girl's he, yeah, body? Yeah, he was one of oh. the cops. Yeah. The cops uh, another thing I wanted to mention murders. was that uh, Dale Dickey looks normal in this. Like, what the hell happened to her in like the? Next I know. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I know because. She, like, became, like, the character that's always, you know, the white trash, like, a horrible person, never a cop. I think she's really good in this, but I now think Robin Wright either looks like Eileen Warnos or like Dale Dickey ten years later. Like, (laughs) way more than Dale Dickey looks like Dale Dickey. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I was thinking that that Dale Dickey's character would be recast by Amy Ryan because the picture of Amy Ryan in uh, Gone Baby Gone, I can't get out of my head. Yeah. <laughs> All right. LVP MVP. No, wait, here. Wait, I had conspiracy. Oh yeah, theories. go for it, Zach. Uh, okay, I only had a few. Uh, one of my conspiracy theories is that the boy who found Jenny's body is related to Stillwell Angel. <laughs> <laughs> I did that purely to get a laugh out of Terry. Um, I had a lot of thoughts about the credit card machine. Very ancient in this movie. Hopefully yes. they improved yes. the technology of uh, the the credit card. Every time I hear Tom Noonan's voice, I think of Anna which Todd at one point said was a Zach movie. I'm still, still offended is. by that. I actually have that song from Anna in my phone. Uh, it's actually a great song. That's the best part of the movie. So when I watch this, I think of Anna unfortunately. Um, and, uh, I also had my, the best comment that my wife, Sammy made during this movie. It was a great comment. The scene, <laughs> the scene where they have the parade, <laughs> there's actually a few parades in this uh, movie, but she said, flash forward 20 years and this parade will be in Trump rally. I, I laughed out loud. <laughs> that was a great, that was a great call. All right. All right. LVP MVP. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to go first. Uh, my LVP is the semi-truck driver. And my MVP yeah. is the semi-truck driver. Great. Wait, wait how is he mm. the LVP? He's the MVP of this movie. He is the L- He's the MVP. Yes. He but he's the, the LVP. Killer. Yes, he does. And he's the LVP because if he hadn't killed the killer, Jack wouldn't have gone insane. Yeah, and it would have caught him. Driver. He's, he, he took that turn way too fast. Yeah. yeah. So he's, he's the LVP. Somebody and, else. He's the LVP and the MVP. We could also say, um, oh, I, I'm I'm gonna change my douchebag pick to porcupines. Yeah, it's mm. a good call. I mean, how douchey can you be? Anyways, all right, Todd. I think Jerry Black could also be played by Dokes because it kind of is like Dokes season two. <laughs> but, um, my <laughs> LVP, <laughs> my LVP is uh, Monash. His his character is Monash Dep- deputy. Because he, oh he, when they go to tell the the parents that the little girl died, like he does, makes Jerry do all the work. He like hides in God the other damn room. It. Screw you, Todd. This was he, my pick. And then he lets the criminal steal his gun and shoot himself while he's like crying and whining. Like he's he's probably the worst cop maybe in the history of movies. 
And who's a worse cop, that guy or the guy who said none of us wanted to go tell the the mother? Well, yeah, well, he said I have. Thing. Is I have it the yeah, same guy. That's the uh, no. It's, yeah. the, it's the guy. He's like yeah. we have one the deputy. Same guy. We have one deputy, but he doesn't really want to, <laughs> or he'd rather <laughs> okay, not. Okay. And so this is the guy that actually they sent, and he didn't do anything. My MVP is the costume designer Jill O'Hanison because mainly because of Jerry's hats. Like Jerry has some tr- amazingly bad hats. Like he has that one <laughs> hat that's got a, a like a cigarette with a circle and a slash through it. I've never seen that hat before in my life. That was amazing. And his like. His fishing hat is another incredibly ugly hat. Like, these are great hats. And the movie has, uh, like, a great sense of, like, small town attire. And that's something that a lot of movies screw up. But this movie doesn't. That's their great costumes. Even though they probably had zero budget on them. Considering the hats. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Zach. LVP MVP? Yes. Uh, okay, so uh, God damn it, Todd! You you stole my LVP. Obviously, it was the Monash County Police Department. That was a horrible police uh, investigation. But if I have He's to go, standing with... on the footprints. Yeah, and he there was something wrong with the pen too. It was awful. <laughs> the, the, the... <laughs> Whose pen is this? <laughs> exactly. It was awful. Awful. Uh, but I would say uh, low-key LVP might be Helen Mirren because she indulges Jack so much uh, in this movie. And clearly she should have been played by Tilda Swinton. My MVP in this movie uh, is fish. Because fish uh, are a, a great species in this movie. And they're they, they the central metaphor of the movie. Oh, and they were biting pretty good, eh? Exactly. All right, let's wrap this up. Quote of the day time. And let's see here. Todd, go first. Uh, my quote comes from the pledge. To have. It's, <laughs> it's his uh, retirement speech. He says, you shouldn't have, but you did. And it hits me deep. <laughs> and that's the way I feel about this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Well done. Uh, my quote of the day comes from <laughs> Ghostbusters Afterlife. Oh, wow. Um, it's a joke that's told during it. Um, what do a cigarette and a hamster have in common? They're both harmless until you put them in your mouth and light them on fire. That is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I want to really see Ghostbusters. Someone on this podcast, not the three of us, gave it three and a half stars. I'm, I'm I, very I intrigued of, by it. I almost gave it three and a half. The, en- the ending dropped it down to a three, though. You've never seen the first two, though. You don't need to reveal that on the podcast. You have to see the first two if you're going to see Afterlife. <sighs> Whatever. It may, it, Not the first would, three. Well, I haven't even seen the. I the, think I've seen Ghostbusters two with Mick, Rick Moranis on your on the last podcast. You brought that up. Okay. All right. Quote of the day. Wrap us up, Zach. I have a lot of great quotes from the pledge. Okay. One is the man likes his marijuana. Another great quote is, I thought you were supposed to be fishing in Mexico. <laughs> and then my final quote is, no nude sunbathing. Now, listen, yeah, if Jerry is too. going to be on the nude sunbathing, doesn't that seem a little bit extreme? I mean, the man has worked 30 years in law enforcement in Reno, Nevada. I think he deserves to have some nude 
sunbathing on the deck of his house. But the fact that ladies, yeah, the fact that ladies actually bringing it up means that she thinks it's possible. Just like Helen Mirren is like sort of hitting on him too. Like he, Jerry really is the biggest stick man. <laughs> wow. So, so another another great uh, trivia question you could have asked Todd is what airline was he supposed to fly? Oh, I wrote this down. I think it's, it was it, Northwest. Northwest, because you know Cabo San Lucas is totally Northwest. Yeah. I yeah. thought you were going to go somewhere with Jackie Brown. Isn't that the airline that Jackie Brown is the stewardess for? Is Cabo San Lucas in Mexico? Uh, Maybe I don't know. All right. Well, we're wrapping. I thought this you were supposed now. to be fishing in Mexico. Yep. Nope. We're we're here on the podcast. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll be back at you next week with another episode. Until then, have fun watching movies, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.